Today on Context, the ravages of war and famine. I looked at it and it was like, just like looking at a movie. The horror of living through the most powerful hurricane ever to hit Bahamas. Please pray for us, please pray for us, everyone. And the call for us to care for those we don't even know. We take you to three trouble spots in our world today. Rebuilding in Bahamas, Doctors Without Borders in Yemen, and a filmmaker takes us inside a refugee camp in Greece. In some of the most desperate places in our world, there is one common denominator, the resilient human spirit. It took the uh, one year nonsense. Well, building on the resiliency of the human spirit and a call for human connection across the world for the unveiling of a new sculpture, Angels Unaware, in Vatican City. Pope Francis revealed the work of Canadian artist Timothy Schmaltz to mark the World Day of Migrants and Refugees. Schmaltz said the sculpture reminds us all that in welcoming a stranger, we could be unaware that we are truly welcoming an angel. And here at home, election campaigns continue, but can Liberal leader Justin Trudeau hang on to the young Canadian vote that got him into power in 2015? A new Nanos poll shows voters 18 to 29 who plan on voting Liberal are down to 27% from 38% in August. Well, Canada's largest all-candidates debate before a live audience is going to take place in Toronto. This event is organized by the Archdiocese of Toronto. Neil McCarthy is the Archdiocese Director of Communications. He says perspectives on the issues matter to people of all faiths. When it comes to homelessness, poverty, the environment, immigration, faith communities are on the front line of those issues. And you can watch the debate live on our streaming platform, intothecastle.com. Well, the last thing on anyone's mind in Bahamas are elections. Just three weeks ago, Hurricane Dorian ripped through the islands where 56 people died. An estimated 600 are still missing. 70,000 people have lost their homes. They're left wondering what is next. One of those people is Gertha Johnson whose desperate pleas for prayers were heard around the world. She spoke with our Christine Yu from Nassau. I can't believe we've been a lot now. I still haven't been able to sleep from all this. The most I sleep is three hours. It's so hard that you have to sit and wait for someone to make a decision about your life. We just here waiting and praying. That's all we can do. And the way this hurricane came and this tornado, it was unbelievable. And this was so hard. It's like, I can't get it out of my mind. It's like, I'm there all over again, just standing and just praying and just hoping somebody will come and help us. We just have to deal with it in our own. And sometimes I'm thinking like, maybe I'm dead, I'm not alive. I'm grateful for every prayer. God have a way of showing us that 
we're not alone. Some people didn't make it, but a lot of us here. And I believe it's because everyone pray for us. It's like a nuclear bomb went off. And, uh, you know, what I'm really concerned with uh, are the locals, the heart and the soul of these islands. I feel bad for the rich folks that lost their places, but they'll be able to rebuild. Right. But it's about these people that uh, don't have the means to rebuild. Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen is still feeding. He's, he's amazing. He, he is. He goes yeah. wherever. Well, Lenny Kravitz talking with Ellen DeGeneres recently about our next guest, Sam Block. He is the director of field operations for Jose Andres World Central Kitchen. He joins us now from Marsh Harbor, Bahamas, one of the hardest hit areas. Tell us exactly what is going on. What are you seeing in terms of people and, and their struggle, but also their resilience in the face of this disaster? Sure. So I've been here for the last 30 days now, and it's it's been interesting to watch the evolution of the exodus of people. You know, there was a very large evacuations uh, the week after the hurricane, and now we're starting to see people coming back. We, uh, we've been here, we've done, between the three operations, we've done about 700,000 meals or more than 700,000 meals, uh, both here in Abaco and Freeport, as well as the evacuation centers in Nassau. And we're just now starting to see people coming back. So our numbers here out of this kitchen are starting to go up and we're happy to have served them not only while they were leaving, but now as they're coming back. And we heard from Lenny Kravitz talking about the people who were pretty much hardest hit. He did mention that those with big homes would have the money to rebuild, but the rest of the population will struggle. At this point, everybody seems to be dealing with a lack of clean water and uh, an inability to find ways of cooking. So they're they're looking to you for help for something as basic as a meal, and it's so important to them. How do you do it? Uh, well, we do it with a, a lot of a, a lot of determination, for sure. With there, there isn't any other restaurants or grocery stores open uh, on the island yet. And Marsh Harbor is the supply capital for the island. It's the largest city, but it's also where a lot of the keys, the smaller islands, sprinkled out just north of here, that were also hit. It's where they come to get their food. So. There is yet to be any grocery stores open or any other real means of food. Some of the other organizations have brought in some military meals ready to eat. Uh, those those uh, obviously are not as good as a, as a hot, fresh meal. Uh, so really, we, we have been the main, the main means of food, the only means of food for those that have not only remained, but also those that are coming back. And that's until the grocery stores and commerce starts to reopen. You seem like quite an affable guy who can uh, adjust to any situation. You've seen so much and you've done so much. How do you process this personally? You know, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. We. We appreciate the challenges. The, the team is constantly um, evolving and working with the resources, whether that's the, the local volunteers or helicopters or boats. We're constantly piecing together resources that we have available in order to, to make, you know, two meals delivered to everybody on the island every day since the hurricane has hit. It's, uh, you have to be creative. You definitely have to be creative. Weather comes in, helicopters stop going, the seas get too high for the boats. It's, it's a constant uh, new creative process every day. Things are now starting to stabilize quite a bit. The, the regular ferry services, which is how the island is normally supplied, are just now starting to return uh, from Nassau and the surrounding islands. 
Sam, your optimism gives us reason for hope. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Sam Block, Director of Field Operations of Jose Andres World Central Kitchen. Well, the devastation that natural disasters like floods, hurricanes and earthquakes bring to a community cannot possibly be measured. But the creator of a phone app hopes to bring damage control and a sense of connection in a time of crisis. Mina Palaniapan is the founder and CEO of tech startup Atma Connect, and she joins us from Oakland, California. Brilliant idea. Explain, please, how this app can help people prepare for disaster. So social connectedness is this under, incredibly underinvested in tool for disaster resilience. What we've created is Atmago, a hyper-local social network for neighbors helping neighbors. So people are using it every day to report problems to the government, to take community collective action. And when disaster hits, it becomes all the more powerful. People are sharing the locations of government flooding shelters. They're helping their neighbors in the immediate hours after a disaster before humanitarian agencies and governments are able to respond. Mina, what happens when disaster strikes an area of this world that doesn't have access to social media, doesn't have that connectivity? The reality is when disaster hits, uh, telecom lines come down. And so what do we do in the case that uh, when, when telecom lines come down? And what we are what we want to investigate and uh, create a solution for is is this situation in the post disaster um, situation where cellular um, doesn't exist. And what we've, um, what we're investigating is mesh networks. So for people to be able to communicate from mobile phone to mobile phone in um, the post-disaster um, situation. Very quickly, uh, something like this obviously is a preventive in a way. It's to connect people with an impending disaster looming. What about after the fact? How effective is the app when it comes to keeping people connected while they're trying to reclaim their lives? The post-disaster in Sulawesi, where the city was hit by a tsunami, um, people ha couldn't find water and couldn't find health care in the hours and days after disaster. And uh, we have a, a user, Rama, who, um, who, who talked about how she and her family didn't know where to look. They looked on Facebook. And we're able to find on Atmago that Red Cross was supplying water to the area. And so that her community was able to go and get water. Um, in Lombok, where there was an earthquake in Indonesia, there's a woman who experienced so much post-traumatic stress from the disaster that she said she couldn't leave the house for, um, for days and weeks. And it was posts on Atmago where people were encouraging each other to rise up and rebuild and providing psychosocial support that really helped her get out of the house. So it seems that technology is now trying to work alongside to bolster the human spirit. Mina Palaniapan, founder and CEO of Atma Connect, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Destructive hurricanes like the one that hit Bahamas are on the increase to help us understand just how rising ocean temperatures affected the power of Hurricane Dorian. We're joined by author and climate journalist Alana Mitchell. Thank you for being with us. So hurricanes, hurricanes gather steam over water, but the water seems to be warming up at an alarming rate. Talk to me about that uh, messy soup, if you will. 
okay, so the waters are warmer because the, the carbon load in the atmosphere is higher. And that means that more heat is held against the body of the planet. And a lot of that goes into the ocean. So there's the ocean. It's warm. It's got all this extra energy in it. As a hurricane is forming, it just picks up that energy and it becomes stronger. It's faster. It, it spins more quickly and it, uh, you know, it, it grows more swiftly. And are we going to see more intensity and more frequency when it comes to hurricanes? And do we tie this all together with those two words that are oft used, but very little is done about it, climate change? The, the climate change issue is, is it, it very much a, one that affects the formation of these very, very destructive hurricanes. So not only is the water warmer, not only are the winds faster, not only is there more moisture in the air that, that, can, that can fall after the after the hurricane is 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 over so we have more flooding also somehow weirdly climate change allows because of the way the winds work allows the, one of those very destructive hurricanes to just sort of stand in place and so it's able to just make landfall and really do its damage over a longer more prolonged period and the damage is caused uh, in part by the winds and the destruction as a result, but also the flooding. I mean, that really is one of the most difficult issues when it comes to surviving and also finding relief. That's right. I mean, the, the floods are, are one of the big killers when you have a really devastating hurricane like this. And, that, and so the floods are intensified by climate change. That's one of the phenomena here. You know, hurricanes aren't the only... Um, well, we call it natural disasters in a way, although a lot of people feel that somehow it's connected to the, the behavior of some people on this planet. But we're seeing so many things affected by climate change and creating natural disasters that are taking lives and changing lives. Right. Yes, we are. It's not just hurricanes, although they're a really dramatic example. But we've got flooding. We've got droughts in different parts of the world. We've got heat waves. We've got fires in the Arctic. We've got fires in the Amazon. There are different ways that the climate system is becoming destabilized. And that's because of this carbon load in the atmosphere from burning fossil fuels. Alana Mitchell, thank you. Thank you. Still ahead, as more than 70 million people around the world seek refuge outside their own countries, a documentary filmmaker takes us inside a refugee camp in Greece. Plus, a dire situation still exists in Yemen. Long after the news headlines have faded, a civil war there has created the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. We speak with doctors without borders helping on the ground. Another lost but definitely not forgotten people are the Yemenis suffering through a civil war now for five years. Just to enter the country is life risking. Parik McCluskey is with the group Doctors Without Borders. He joins us by phone. The only way to get anyone inside that country is by phone. Thank you for taking the time. Parik, what are you seeing on the ground and who are you seeing there in Yemen? Um, well, for the past couple of years, um, across many different parts of Yemen, we've been seeing the health consequences of violence, displacement, um, an economy in free fall and a collapsed healthcare system. 
the consequences of this, sadly, is that um, every day many people are falling in um, in the location where I am at the moment in Thai's governorate. We've seen hundreds of newborns die over the past couple of years as a result of this collapsed healthcare system. Um, these are people who in the past would have been more easily able to access healthcare, but now because of the conflict, we're having to take long, dangerous and expensive journeys to access remaining healthcare facilities. Um, there are sadly just too many needs for organizations like MSF to support. Um, and often people arrive to us uh, too late for life to be saved. And sometimes we just can't take in um, any more patients. I think a lot of people are very aware and very grateful for the work that you do, Doctors Without Borders. Let's talk about what you're observing in terms of the human spirit, the will to live, the desire to have hope for a future. Is that still with the people of Yemen? Yes, I, I think there is always hope. I, I think we see every day here in the hospital that we're in the, the strength and resilience of Yemenis as they try and um, cope and overcome the different challenges that the conflict has brought up. Um, it was I, I was walking through the neonatal departments here of the hospital today, and it, it left quite an impression to see very young babies, a day, two days old, just battling their first days um, in their short lives. So I think seeing the humanitarian crisis, I think it remains to be seen whether they will take those steps. We're in the uh, middle of a, an election campaign and, and the various leaders talk about what they can do for their own country. What can we Canadians do for the people of Yemen? I think if you're from Canada or any country in Europe or the US, I think there's always more pressure that can be placed upon people's representatives, upon politicians, to, to just ask the simple question, why isn't more pressure being placed upon the warring parties to protect civilians, to protect hospitals? Your compassion comes through loud and clear. How has this experience been for you and the others with Doctors Without Borders? Um, I, I think it's obviously a, it's a very busy time, especially for our, our Yemeni colleagues and the international medics who work here in the hospital that I'm in at the moment. Um, but I don't think it kind of compares to the situation that uh, our patients find themselves in, many of whom who travel um, long distances to access health care on a daily basis. Is there an end in sight? Is that even a possibility? As MSF, we continue to call on the warring parties to protect civilians, to protect hospitals and medical staff, and to ensure people have access um, to the assistance that they need. Those steps um, can be taken. Um, it's a, it is tragic that a lot of the health consequences of the conflict and the warring parties can take steps to uh, alleviate some of that burden. Um, that would make a big difference to civilians' lives and whether an end is in sight um, remains to be seen. Well, from more than halfway around the world, Parik McCluskey, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for speaking with us and for your tremendous work on the ground in Yemen. We salute you and you are in our thoughts and our prayers. Thank you. Thank you. ابني كان يبكي يقول ما بدي هو الاخاف اموت هذاك اليوم بعتبره فيه كان جنازتي يعني 15 محاوله بحاول على كيوس وعلى امنات مع هذول الاطفال اقسم بالله 15 محاوله 
Well, according to the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, the biggest group of people displaced, it's refugees. There were 25 million by the end of 2018, of whom about half were children. Faten Al-Faraj is the producer of a documentary about life in a refugee camp on the island of in Greece of Lesbos. She joins us now with more information about this. What brought you to, to Greece? Uh, one doesn't typically think of refugee camps in Greece. Well, you know, originally, like most of the uh, refugees are from the Middle East area. I'm originally from the Middle East. I'm from Jordan. And um, <clears throat> it felt so close to home. And I felt that I have to give these people a voice and to try to help them be, to be heard. And um, I met with uh, an organization, Teach Beyond Borders. They were starting a project of giving educational um, projects and transformational education to the displaced. And they were doing it in Greece. And that opened my eye to search more about Moria and about the camp over there and the refugee situation over there. And um, I was so blessed that they entrusted me to do this project with them. You could have the safety of the camera in front of you and being behind the lens, seeing through it, but you actually put yourself into many situations while you were filming. What was the reality of life in a refugee camp like? Oh, it's devastating. It's um, the living situations in the refugee camp especially in Moria, which is considered one of the worst refugee camps on earth. It's inhumane. Uh, people are living in tents, uh, two to five families in one tent. The minimum number of families is four. And sanitation is a real problem. There is none. Yeah. Um, and food. Food, they stand for hours to get their food for the day. There's no security, there's no safety. Women cannot shower they, because they might get raped while going to the washrooms. They cannot leave their tents be without being afraid that somebody might come and rape their women or steal their stuff. Um, fights, gangs, um, it's, it's inhumane. What can be done? You know, we, we shine the spotlight in the news on various stories that are making headlines, and that means that the focus moves away from situations like what you saw in Greece. So what can be done to put the spotlight back on and see that there is some peace and some future for these people who have suffered so? We have to have them heard, like to have their voices heard. How can they be heard? Um, each one of us can take a role in this. Like if you're a filmmaker, go and make them heard. If you're, if you're simply a person who can support and um, financially to support those refugees, either the volunteers or the volunteers to go and just to treat them with respect and dignity, to show them love, uh, to give them hope in humanity and future, I think that we can start making a difference by small steps. The documentary is called Life Jacket. You're hoping it will be a part of Hot Dogs coming up in 2020. In the meantime, are you going to be speaking with world leaders, with royalty, with people on the ground who can actually make a difference? Actually, uh, I was honored and blessed to get an endorsement from uh, Princess Reem Ali and Prince Ali of Jordan. Um, they believe in the rights of uh, refugees and their, that education is a right, it's not a privilege. I was blessed to get their endorsement and I'm also reaching out to the UN uh, people to, to give uh, some endorsement and some, 
you know, just to give it more credibility. Instead of, instead of paying lip service to it, do something about it. Exactly. Thank you so much. We believe in you. Samaritan's Purse responders were some of the first people on the ground in Bahamas after Hurricane Dorian ripped through, decimating two of the islands. Joining us now, John Clayton here with me in studio and by Skype from Calgary, Sharla D'Souza. Sharla, you were just in Bahamas. What did you see? What did you hear? So we saw a lot of uh, chronic illnesses in the hospital. Their facilities were completely demolished by Hurricane Dorian. And uh, we landed on the ground, built our hospital within four days and started treating patients immediately. John, what is Samaritan's Purse mandate? What is it that you try to do when all heck breaks loose? Well, in terms of emergency response, we want to be on the ground uh, as quickly as possible. So we've, we've done a, 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 made a tremendous effort over the last months and years to build capacity to be able to fly to locations, uh, to train people, to have them on a roster that can be drawn upon, and to have uh, goods and materials, supplies that we would be able to uh, act with immediately. So we were able to do that in the Bahamas. You know, uh, people who are wanting to help and wanting to donate money to great organizations like yours, they sometimes are a little bit confused because there are so many organizations that are saying that they're, they're on the ground right away, like Red Cross uh, and Global Medic, for instance, World Vision, all doing tremendous jobs. How difficult is it to get your message out and to get your work done, Charlotte? Um, we deploy usually within 48 hours of uh, disaster hitting. So uh, we have a team uh, roster and they send out uh, requests and whoever can leave, leaves. So our team actually deploys uh, quite quickly compared to other organizations. Charlotte, are you ever prepared for the reality of what you see when you are on the ground? No, I don't think we can ever be prepared for uh, what we've seen. I've been to four deployments now at Samaritan's Purse, and each one is so different, uh, different levels of suffering and uh, different capabilities on the ground. And so every deployment is very different, and I don't think you're ever re ready for what you're going to see. What do you say when people are frustrated and just absolutely browbeaten by the fact that they cannot find a place to pray? We pray wherever we can, so it's, it's very... Uh, it's very hard to see people's homes and churches just demolished. Um, and so we choose to just pray with them right there in the hospital and to make that a place of prayer as well. Let's talk about the resilience of humankind, yeah. particularly those who are affected by this. And so many of them not living the best lives prior to these natural disasters. And, and what happens to them has made their lives even worse. Yeah. Uh, it's gotten really complicated. Uh, the the trauma that people went through. This uh, this particular um, uh, Dorian sat on top of the Bahamas with two to three hundred kilometer an hour winds for a day and a half. So people were uh, coming to terms with uh, that they were going to die, and uh, some did die, but a lot survived. And now they live with the trauma of having faced that and also now having to face what does recovery look like when their uh, house is destroyed, um, when they're looking at uh, um, just the impossible situations of recovery. So uh, one of the things we're very deliberate about is coming alongside both with Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic uh, uh, Rapid Response Chaplains. Uh, we have a very... Um, tight connection between being very practical and dealing very deliberately on spiritual issues. 
Great work, both of you. Each of you doing something very different for Samaritan's Purse, but being effective and being there for people in need. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our guests and for all of you who are watching. We've actually put together a list of resources to the organizations on the ground helping in Bahamas, Yemen, and at the refugee camp in Greece. It's all on our website at contextbeyondtheheadlines.com. You can also find out about next week's show and where to watch the Catholic All Candidates debate. Context will have full coverage of that next week. We hope to see you then. Until then, thank you. And Lorna will be back next week.